0: USPS Ground Advantage: Simple, affordable, reliable. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Happy Friday! I'm Tracy B. Wilson, and I'm Holly Fry. Uh, so this this episode came about sometimes when I am trying to figure out what I'm going to do next. And I have not already formulated a plan, I wind up in this state of looking at and discarding 20 idea things. after idea. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Um, and a lot of the time it's like, I, it sounds too similar to something we literally just did. Or I realize that there's a, like a book that I really need to get and it's going to take me a while to get. Like there's a bunch of different reasons that I go through and discard stuff. And I, don't even remember, oh, it was that I was looking at a at a different disaster that I've had on my list for a while, and as I was looking at the basics of it, I was just like, I can't figure out why we would want to talk about this because it just feels like a really sad, tragic thing, but not something that we could like learn something from or that has context that's important. It just seems like a a sad tragic series of events. So like what is there a reason for us to talk about this that doesn't feel like just gawking. And so then I was like what are some <laughs> what are some other disasters that maybe led to some improvements. Um and I stumbled onto the Hawk's Nest Tunnel disaster uh and got to the part about Muriel Rukeyser uh writing this poem about it and Muriel Rukeyser was one of my favorite poets when I was in college. She's one of the two poets that I did my thesis on in college. I don't think this was a part of her career that I had really w- looked at a lot during that period of my, you know, education. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like, well, obviously, and then maybe this will turn into... a. Uh, Uh, an actual, like a Muriel Rook-Eiser episode. Maybe it will, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, But that is how I wound up narrowed down onto this one episode. And then it turned out to be so much worse than I expected. Because when I saw the description of workers digging this tunnel and getting the silica exposure and dying of silicosis in my head, I thought the story was going to be, we didn't know yet that silicosis was that dangerous. In fact, we had known that for 20 years, and this was just a flagrant disregard yeah. to the worth of all of these people who were working in the tunnel. Yeah. Um, This episode made me so angry, we had to stop. got. I got to the part about how... Especially the black workers' bodies may have been buried, and the first place that I found reference to possibly being placed along the riverbank like said this as authoritative fact um, and I got so upset about it, and I don't think it actually helps that we don't that I know of have substantiation of whether that really did happen. People clearly believed sincerely that that had happened though and it was what was happening in that tunnel was so egregious that it doesn't seem impossible that people's bodies could have been treated with that kind of disrespect yeah uh so angry making so angry making that's kind of what i have although you've made me think about another thing completely yeah. unrelated and much later in talking about your your senior thesis cuz i was mm-hmm. like we've never discussed what our like senior projects in college were just occurred to me maybe one day yeah <laughs> do you want an earful of samuel beckett i'm ready i'm ready <laughs> if you want a very convoluted uh, it was in hindsight i'm like why did you all let me graduate with this thesis because it was on the work of Adrienne Rich and Muriel Rukeyser, But then I also had this, like, weird pop psychology angle on it. It's it's embarrassing in hindsight now. And I think there, <laughs> uh, with some guidance, I might could have done something I would not be embarrassed by now. None of this matters. I mean, it might have mattered had I gone on to go to graduate school in literature, which was my original plan. But, like, it's this is no longer a thing that has relevance to my life or career. But occasionally I'm like, remember that embarrassing thing you wrote so you can graduate from college? I mean, that's what college is, right? Yeah, for sure. I actually did two. So I did two tracks in the literature department and one was the literature track and the other was the creative writing track. So I actually had to do two theses to graduate. And one was this paper that was on Adrian Rich and Miro Rookizer and the other was like a body of my own poetry which i haven't looked back on in 25 or however many years i bet that's also embarrassing mine was a one person play because i was a theater major i like how you did that in song i did uh i was not a musical theater major i was very snooty about musical theater yeah Yeah, Um, I still am not the biggest fan of musical theater, not because I don't think it's worthy, but as we've probably discussed before, I don't like to see the inside of people's mouths, which happens when they sing with Mm -hmm. great um, enthusiasm. Yeah. It's just a weird, one of many weird little quirks of my brain. (laughs) I feel very embarrassed and it's very awkward for me. (laughs) Yeah. there are a couple of books about this uh disaster. One of the books is uh is called The Hawk's Nest Incident, America's Worst Industrial Disaster. And that was published in 1986. And I still feel like it's like the most authoritative work about it. There's another book that's newer that is more of a collection of like congressional testimony and things like that. Like it's it's not a narrative as much there's the, it sort of brings together all these other resources. Um, Would you like to hear a one-star Amazon review of that other book? Yes, I was expecting an engineering history in the same vein as David McCullough's excellent books on the Panama Canal and the Brooklyn Bridge, Instead, all I got was newspaper clippings, court testimony, and endless government documents all about silicosis, silicosis, and more silicosis ad nauseum. Very disappointing. I returned to the book. I was like, wow, this person seems to have um, not understood the point of... And then the next paragraph is, I spent my whole career working as a control systems engineer for Union Carbide. I never knew anyone who was not of the highest integrity. Everything we did kept safety as a foremost concern. I can't speak for the early 30s. This is a very different country then. And I was like, (sighs) were you personally upset by Union Carbide's role in this disaster? Maybe. Anyway, that was, when I saw that, I was like, wow, this this is one of the more fascinating one-star Amazon reviews. Explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We talked about Billy Burke this week. Yep. I love her wacky life. Yeah. I do. I, um... Here's a thing I I super like about her. She is very frank about her marriage Mm -hmm. and that it was a mess and that sometimes it made her very unhappy, but that at the end of the day, they really loved each other. And it was just like a good example of how a a thing that I know is easy for me to forget. Like, right, everybody wants to judge everybody else's relationship, but nobody knows except the people on the inside what it really is. Mm-hmm. And so I just think she's a good example of how, like, you can have a marriage that people don't think is right and still be like, no, that was still the thing I was going to do. Yeah. Um, which I just love. She really, really does speak very, very lovingly about Florence Ziegfeld Jr. and how, even though she recognized all of his faults and that he did cheat on her many times. Uh, she still saw a lot of good in him, which is pretty interesting. And she talks about him in ways like that are really quite ebullient and adoring. And I kind of loved them. Uh, one of the things she talks about a lot is that he didn't know how to do anything the small way. Um, <laughs> And how like he would do things like, hey, I got you a gift. And she would find out he had spent $35,000 on like, a whole set of golden plates and cutlery for her. And oh my she'd goodness. she'd be like, you're sending those back. <laughs> and yeah. that, that the second, he would then kind of trade down to a more reasonable gift, but it was always in really good taste. And she'd be like, it took him some tries, but he always got there. <laughs> and there was a really, uh, cu- one of the, I will read a couple of quotes from her because they're so cute. Uh, one is when she talks about when he started to have to wear glasses. And she wrote, when he was about 45, he began to wear reading glasses for the first time in his life. He did this as he did everything else. He wore more glasses than anybody. He had, I suppose, 50 pairs. (laughs) Which I love. The other thing that I think really endeared him to her forever was that he and her mom were like BFFs and she tells so many cute stories of them like cutting out and going to the movies together or like oh nice there's one story she has in her first book about the two of them sitting out by the pool and kind of like lovingly bickering over who has prettier feet and like how you know as her mom got ill that he just doted on her and made sure she had everything she could possibly need and and it's um it's really really quite sweet. She, <laughs> she also made this point in her first book that really I had not realized. You know, Florence Ziegfeld Jr. is attached to so many people we have talked about on the show before, including like Eugen Sandow and a lot of famous singers and performers that came through vaudeville. But there's one section of the book where she talks about how he was one of the first people in the entertainment industry to recognize the value of Black performers Mm -hmm. and how he would not only book them when other people would not, but he was adamant that, like, this was a level playing field and they got booked into the same hotels when they were touring. If a hotel wouldn't take them, they didn't stay there. Mm -hmm. They got the same treatment backstage as everybody else. Like, he was really, really adamant. And to her, that was, like, one of those mitigating things that made the uglier parts of his personality a little bit uh easy for her to ignore because she respected him so much um it's very very sweet there's a very sad part of her you know final moments with him after he had died she had been on set doing a screen test when she got the call that was like come home right now and she did and she realized when she got there, she had not changed. And she was in a dress that she had been sewn into for this screen test and she couldn't oh my get goodness. out of it. So she was kind of like freaking out with grief and had to be cut out of her clothes because she didn't have a zipper. And it's like this heartbreaking moment where you're like, that's the last thing you need to worry about when you are mm-hmm. grieving the person that for better or for worse was the love of your life. Um, she also tells a story in her book to go to. She has many cute stories. One that is not cute is that she is also very frank about how she's a little cagey about the language. So I don't know if anything inappropriate ever actually happened, but about how freely men were willing to make advances on her when she was a teenager in London. Oh, wow. Yeah, And how like that kind of just came with the territory of being an entertainment. Mm. And it's like she kind of glosses through it. And I'm like, is this her way of like compartmentalizing that or did she manage to sidestep it to a point where she can acknowledge it and move on? And I don't know. Um, but it was just one of those things that made me go, oh man. Um, here's a bad thing she did as a teenage performer. Okay. <laughs> she and one of the other teenagers in that first show where she became very, very popular, the schoolgirl, would do this thing as they were leaving stage they would step out of their shoes and leave them on the stage so other performers would trip on them because they thought it was hilarious. Which is awful, but she was a teenager and needed entertainment. Um, She also tells a hilarious story about Mrs. Patrick Campbell, who we have talked about on the show. Oh, yeah, 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 we did. Because Mrs. Patrick Campbell also worked with Charles Froman. And she says at one point, Froman gave her, gave Mrs. Campbell a note, and apparently she did not enjoy notes. And Mrs. Patrick Campbell replied, pardon me, Mr. Froman, but you forget that I am an artist. And his response was, Mrs. Campbell, I'll keep your secret. <laughs> Which is like the best whammo of all time. Um, I also really like the fact that there is a crater on Mercury named for her. And that's where I'll end my Billy Burke ebullience. Yeah. She's even yeah. in space. She's pretty fun. Glenda the Good Witch, iconic forever. Yeah, so um, we talk about how she looks younger than 56 in that movie. I think she was 54. I don't know what is, I don't know why. She's it in her mid-50s. I, she's in her mid-50s, yeah. And so I went and watched a clip from it because in my mind, Glenda the Good Witch is like ethereally flawless almost. Yeah. And knowing how old she actually was when she filmed it, she looks older on than I remembered in my right. memory, right? Uh, so still looking very young, yeah. but not as like ethereally young as the memory that right. my mind made of what Glinda the Good Witch looks like, if that makes sense. It does. Um. So there's an interesting thing about that, and I didn't mention it in the episode proper because I didn't want it to become a whole other topic but it's worth mentioning one of the ways that that film and how young she looks in it is often written up is that oh she was actually 18 years older than margaret hamilton who looks like a horrible hag and it's like wait 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 one don't compare people to each other two margaret hamilton was in a ton of makeup like you can't do that she literally had like, which makeup on, (laughs) whereas Billy Burke was made to look glamorous and beautiful. That's not a fair comparison. Right. I also was curious. I was like, how how much did you keep the sun off your face? I think probably a lot. Probably a lot, because that will make a big difference in uh, how old folks look a lot of the time. Yes. Yes. Um, And it's interesting. She talked about how, you know, they certainly wore makeup for film, but she didn't like to wear a lot of makeup in day-to-day life um you know unless she was doing a a stage show and that it was kind of like tawdry for women to wear makeup in sure. in the time right mm-hmm. certainly the levels of makeup we wear now not everyone but uh, many yeah of like us. So um, <laughs> the level i wear is none,
1: <laughs> none right makeup oh, but
0: it's, <laughs> i love a little glitter A love a little glitter uh yeah. would be just you know whoo that the the worst insult she mentions that you could give someone is, oh, she paints. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, with gesso Um, yeah, she's uh she's really fun. I really do. If you just want like I don't want to say it's a light read because she's talking about heavy stuff. She's talking about infidelity and marital issues sure. and like problems that are going on. But her tone, and granted, some of that is her co-writer is so good. And you really get the sense that she was, like, a person who... I mean, they went through rough stuff, aside from any issues between them. Like, the fact that they lost everything after leading this very lavish lifestyle. She's like, all right, I'll just go back to movies. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, And rebuilt, really, a wonderful career for herself. She just seems like a trooper. Just funny when you consider she did not want to go into acting initially. (laughs) Uh, so yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. Billy Burke. I want to watch Wizard of Oz again. Love it. Yeah. I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen it in many years, but it was a favorite favorite when I was little. Oh, love it. Love it. Uh, granted, you know, there's a whole other depressing story about Judy Garland and that whole thing. Margaret Hamilton though, favorite for a long time. Did you ever see the Mr. Rogers that she was on? I think so. Where she brought her I don't know if it was her original witch hat oh, yeah. from the movie or if he yeah. had one, I can't remember, but they put it on and it was just the cutest, like, her talking about being in the movie. And, uh, you know, that, that movie has, I think, launched many, many people, many, many people's imaginations. So mm-hmm. near and dear to my heart. Anyway. Billy Burke. I'll talk about her forever if you let me. Um, Don't let me. There are other things to talk about. But uh, we hope, if this is your weekend coming up, you get to either watch a movie you love or do something that you love or that relaxes you. If you don't have time off, I still hope you wedge in some fun. I will probably be watching The Wizard of Oz while I work on other stuff. (laughs) I'm very easily impressionable. Uh, We hope that you are having the best possible year you can. Uh, We will be right back here tomorrow with a classic, and then on Monday there will be another brand new episode. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.